Welcome to Narrow Way to Broadway, a podcast for people of faith with a passion for the arts. Each episode is designed for the thespian and non-thespian and the believer and non-believer alike, navigating topics affecting the hearts, minds, and homes of artists everywhere. Thanks for joining. What's up, NY B-Way? Philip with you today. This week's episode is pretty special because, in a way, it's a companion episode of sorts. So, two weeks ago, we had Michelle Long on our podcast, and she spoke about getting into the audition room and the importance of training for Christian artists and how organizations like CETA or Christians in Theater Art are doing just that to prepare the next generation of artists to produce work with excellence that brings glory to God. So, today, I get to sit down with her husband, Bruce Long. And Bruce is a producer, author, and speaker, and has produced on Broadway, off Broadway, and on London's West End, where his affiliate productions have garnered four Tony Awards and two Olivier Awards. He is the executive director of Christians in Theater Arts, or CETA, and is going to be releasing a book in early 2021 titled The Problem with the Dot. And we'll be discussing that book in uh, detail during this episode. So everyone, let's welcome Bruce Long to the podcast. How you doing today, Bruce? Man, I'm so great, Philip. Thanks for having me. Amazing. We are so glad that you're here, especially after Michelle's episode two, yeah, two weeks ago. Um, gosh, it was just so amazing. And then from Emma having that conversation with um, Michelle, she was like, "You've got to talk to my husband." <laughs> and so, um, so we are so glad that we were able to get both of y'all on this on our podcast together. And I'm so excited from our conversation that we've had before recording this for you to share a little bit about what God's done in your life as a believer and an artist and things that he's doing right now in your life that are going to, I believe, really speak into some places that have not been spoken into in a very long time in our kind of like Christian theater church culture. Um, So with that, let's go ahead and get started. I have a few questions for you today. Um, We'll start out with the first one that I have, which is just your basic, like, tell me a little bit about your background and what initially drew you to theater. Yeah, you know, I um, I grew up in a really small rural town in uh, Alabama, and um, I was vaguely introduced to theater kind of in high school with, uh, you know, some community theater, high school specific uh, student, uh, high school um, community theater kind of stuff. It really wasn't till my second year in college that I was, I would say, truly formally introduced to the idea of theater. And I went to college initially uh, to, uh, I guess, on a track to become a pastor. Uh, You know, I felt pretty young calling uh, from you know, God at the time. And I thought, well, you know, you grow up in rural South and in order to fulfill, you know, full-time Christian service, that means being a pastor or maybe a youth pastor or a minister of music. So that was kind of my track going into college and just, you know, we didn't, theater wasn't a thing in, in that little town. It didn't have a program or anything in high school. So my second year in college, actually, I was in a class and, um, we were arguing about, you know, some theological uh, things and it got into an argument. And uh, the guy in the front of the room threw an eraser at the guy in the back of the room. And I kind of had to dodge that eraser. And in that moment, 
there was an epiphany. Like, I'm not sure my friends are going to, you know, come to Jesus through this information. Right. So I started to really kind of take stock, like what's the best way to, uh, I guess, exact change, uh, in people's lives. And, uh, for me anyway, you know, stand up comedy was what I was big into at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of learning from these guys and this seems to be a far more appropriate way to communicate the gospel than, you know, what we're learning here uh, with these deep theological thoughts. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that. And I would say as Providence had it, you know, God really ordained this moment. And uh, out of that, there, I was one of the first theater students at this little Southern Baptist college. They had started a theater program, and that was my entree, if you will, into theater. And so uh, that's, I think that is initially what drew me into theater was this idea that we could communicate worldview. We could communicate and establish culture, uh, that yes, we can entertain, we can make the world a little bit better place. People need to laugh. They need to cry. They need to have this communal experience that I think theater offers, all of that, I probably was not thinking at the time. I just knew that that was something cool and I was probably good at it. Uh, turns out I am pretty good at it. And so that's how I initially got into theater and probably a little even about, you know, my background, which is, I guess, what you were asking. So, you know, in a short, curt thing, I would say God was calling me to the ministry very young. Uh, I went to college with the idea that I needed to be a pastor. And as as fate would have it, I think God opened up my eyes and even opportunities to pursue something at that moment that has since been more clearly defined over the course of my life and certainly changed the trajectory of where I felt like I was going. So I don't know that uh, I was ever supposed to be a pastor so much as I needed to go in that direction in order to experience that moment to set me on the correct path that he had planned for me way back at the very earliest of my, you know, uh, formal education, if you will. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of our listeners kind of know my current situation that I'm working in like the worship arts ministry at a church right now, which is a total, like, I guess it's not a total diver like jump away from what I've been doing with theater. Cause I'm still working with musicians and other artists and creatives every single day. And right before this conversation, we were having a creative meeting, planning our Christmas services and everything. So I'm still kind of getting to do the thing, but, um, it's really cool in this moment that I'm in season that I'm living in right now, you know, getting to sit and see, wow, like, God's been that moment, like my junior year of high school, when I kind of felt God like tugging my heart towards um, ministering to people that I'm kind of like living in an initial stage of what that looks like right now. And I feel like it's kind of similar to the story that you just shared with us. Um, specifically, one thing that I'm so excited for you to talk about is this book that you've just written and um, 
gosh, I, from our conversation, from the notes that I took from our conversation prior to this, I've just been like combing over those and um, gosh, they are so, it is so cool. I'm so excited for people to hear a little bit about um, kind of a brief overview of what it's about without giving away everything so people can go and read your book <laughs> eventually themselves. But tell us a little bit about it. What's it called? Um, and, you know, what prompted you to write that book? Yeah, sure. So uh, the the title is The Problem with the Dot. And then there's a subtitle that gets a little um, kind of deep, if you will. But the subtitle is the, uh, well, the full title, I should say, is The Problem with the Dot, A Holistic Approach to Christian's Care and Cultivation of Global Culture Through the Theatrical Ecosystem. Come on. To give, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think the idea here, uh, the overarching idea of the book is uh, that First and foremost, uh, I, I don't believe that culture is a war to be won. I think the idea of Christians being engaged in a culture war is probably the wrong metaphor. But rather, uh, like one of my uh, friends, uh, Mako Fujimara, has said, culture is a garden to be tended. And so uh, essentially, I take that little phrase that he uttered and has written about and expanded that specifically with regard to uh, theater as an art form and have consequently created uh, a theatrical ecosystem, uh, which is based on a metaphor of a water ecosystem in which, you know, there is a cycle. And in a water ecosystem, it starts with the headwaters that then flows down into ponds, which then flow, or lakes rather, which then flow into oceans. And out over the oceans are clouds that are created that move back over land and replenish uh, the, the cycle so that it can uh, continue in a healthy mode. And so for the point of this book, the headwaters are um, the idea of theater and theology, that this young burgeoning conversation that is happening more generally, theology and the arts, but more specifically and, and much less known is this movement of theater and theology and how those relate. And those are our headwaters. And out of those critical thinking and out of those studies and out of the theology that comes um, that influences everything else downstream, which are um, our lakes then are our educational theater opportunities from middle school all the way up through terminal graduate degree, whether that's an MFA, a PhD, THD, any of those things. Um, and then flowing out of our educational opportunities, uh, our artists are going to flow downstream into the oceans, which are regional theater companies scattered throughout the United States, which create and cultivate culture at the local level. And a few of our, you know, future next generation artists will migrate upstream and become part of the headwaters in that regard. But most everybody's going to flow downstream into those oceans. 
and again, into our regional theater companies. And out of our regional theater companies uh, are developed the next commercial properties. So Broadway, West End, tours, all of that are the clouds that form out over the oceans. And those clouds then flow back over the mainland. Nine times out of 10, you know, the Broadway shows, they come and go. Uh, The West End shows, they kind of come and go and they just replenish that. But every once in a while, just like over our oceans, you know, major storms form and they come back on to land in a fury and can reshape the cultural, um, you know, coastline, if you will, and uh, really alter kind of how the 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 coast and and the inland uh, looks. But eventually, as all storms do, it will eventually fade out as well. And so out of our regional theater comes the the Hamiltons and um, the Jersey Boys and the Wicked's and the Lion Kings and all of these kind of uh, shape shifting, uh, if you will, culture uh, hugely impactful. Uh, productions, but eventually they are all going to kind of fade away. And that is the essence of the book, if you will. Now, the title itself comes from this idea of where we as Christians tend to focus our attention. Um, I think that uh, there is a spectrum, if you will, and this is what I talk about pretty uh, at length in, in in the text, is that there's a spectrum from darkness to light, from black to white, whatever. And at the far darkest end is the the atheist. And then at the far right side is, to borrow a term from uh, Bill Hybels in the Willow Creek Movement, fully devoted follower of Christ. And so on that spectrum is the movement of people from away from God to a uh, fully devoted follower of God. And so I uh, submit that the, the dot is this tiny little spot on the spectrum where someone converts and becomes a Christian. That, that moment, that singular moment, uh, at the expense of focusing on the broader spectrum. And so uh, when we as Christians uh, focus an inordinate amount of attention on the dot, that is the problem. And so for Christian artists or those who think the art should do certain things, that becomes the problem. Art then just becomes a tool by which we evangelize in an effort to convert someone uh, to Christianity. But I argue that anytime we move someone from darkness to light, we're doing the work of the holy. And that it is just as important as that that absolute moment of conversion. So if we move someone from being an atheist to an agnostic, we've done the work of the holy. If we actually move someone from agnostic to explorer, if we move someone from explorer to an actual conversion, praise the Lord, and they become a Christian. But the same thing, if you keep on moving to the right of that spectrum, if we move someone from uh, recent convert to someone who's starting a little Bible study, maybe in their infancy as a as a believer, if we can help them mature throughout their life by the art that we create, we're also doing the work of the holy. 
But to put it right back, <laughs> the problem with the dot is that we don't focus in on any of those things. We're only trying to create art, if you will, in order to use it as an evangelism tool, which ultimately means converting from non-believer to believer. And that is the end of the story. And I say, that's the problem with the dot. And when you use art in order to uh, tell a message, most of the time, if not all of the time, the message then supersedes the art. And that, as I like to say, is propaganda. And that is the problem with the dot. So the book lays out that thesis. It talks about the ecosystem. And it also talks about how we as Christians should be more fully engaged, not just myopically on the dot, but across the entire components, four components of the ecosystem, in order to make the culture that we desire, we want to cultivate that. We don't want to go to war against it and win it and force our will. We want to treat it like a garden, which I believe is actually scriptural, going back to Genesis. You know, the first thing that we're kind of tasked to do as human beings by our Creator is to tend the garden. And so if culture is a garden, then our job as Christians is to tend that garden and cultivate it and make it beautiful. And our and that's what I believe art should be doing. Uh, sometimes message can come up and bubble up, but anytime that message supersedes the actual art of it all, then we have a problem. And that, again, is the problem with the dot. So in general terms, that's what the book's about and what I lay out. And uh, if you want to know all more about all of that, you're certainly welcome to uh, pick up a copy when it when it's released. Amazing. That is so cool, Bruce. I It's like, let's end it right now. Narrator Broadway is over. We can end it with, <laughs> with that. Bye, guys. <laughs> um, but get a copy of his book. But no, we will absolutely be updating everyone on your book and when it comes out, where they can get a copy. I'm going to buy like, 15 of them and give them to all my friends so <laughs> that I have these conversations with all the time. But gosh, that is so cool, Bruce. Um, kind of moving forward a little bit, I know that some of your, like a lot of your work recently um, has been as a producer. And mm -hmm. I think it's to, to me as an actor, I know, especially a, a younger actor, it's always confusing. Like, what is a producer? What is the producer doing? What is their job? Because in lots of different artistic, you know, areas, the producer is kind of like does everything or the producer is the director. But what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to you to be a producer? And how did you become a producer? So I think in general, the term uh, producer uh, has a number of different meanings, um, but probably the easiest way for most people to think of a producer is that they're they're probably more accustomed to how a local regional theater company would run. And so in the commercial world, you have the title producer, but in the nonprofit regional world, you would probably have the title artistic director, um, maybe mm -hmm. executive director, but there is um, a lot of correlation between those two uh, positions. So 
when I use the term producer, I'm, I'm thinking more commercial theater, which has a little bit different end game. Um, but I think it's commensurate with the idea of artistic director. So um, just to unpack that a little bit, because I think some people uh, actually, I know for a fact, we need more Christians to be involved as arts leaders, which is to say executive directors, artistic directors, managing directors at our local regional theaters. And we also need more Christians to be involved on the producing side of commercial entities. So those two kind of run in parallel with one operating in the nonprofit world and the other running in the for-profit world. But essentially, I think they kind of do the same thing. All of that to say a producer will identify material that they want to um, produce, uh, stage. And so at the, the, the base level, once we've identified that script or that work, then we begin to assemble uh, the financing as well as the creative team in order to execute the vision for that. Now, it can be uh, a story that needs to be commissioned. It can be discovering a a script by a a new writer uh, who maybe has written on spec. Uh, It could be uh, finding material at a festival, you know, something like Fringe, um, you know, where new works are being produced. Um, you know, on or at least portions of new works are being produced. And so once the producer identifies a, a story that they want to tell, uh, the very next step is to option that. And once that option is complete, uh, then that gives us the right to kind of move forward and, again, package the financing as well as to assemble the creative team. And the creative team, of course, is the, the director and the designers, as well as some of the other high-level things, but uh, maybe stars. Uh, So that package kind of comes together. The director then is responsible for the artistic execution of that specific story. So there becomes kind of a, a division of labor once the producer has hired the director, who in in collaboration with the producer will ultimately determine who the design team is or the creative staff is going to be. And then uh, also in collaboration with the producer, we'll hire uh, the cast, make the casting decisions. Uh, Most of that leans heavily in favor of the director, but everybody is collaborative in theater. And so you find people that you can work with and that you like to uh, like their aesthetic and you just kind of move in that way. And then, of course, the packaging of the financing is to make sure that this story is financed in the level that it needs to be. So there's a lot of decisions that go into that. How much money should we raise? What are going to be the weekly operating expenses related to the design and the aesthetic and the story that we're trying to tell? And do those expenses... Uh, lead to recoupment in a timely fashion? How big should the theater be? And then engaging the marketing and the PR term people. So those are all kind of decisions that a producer ultimately is going to make. Uh, But essentially, probably the easiest way to think of it is at a certain point, they kind of become 
more like a CEO of a more traditional company or organization. And they have people who are experts in their area working on these things. So you hire a quality director and he'll have a create or she will have a creative team um, um, of designers and as well as a cast. Um, but then the producer will hire basically a, a marketing and a PR firm who are really, you know, um, excellent at selling tickets and raising the awareness of the show and those sorts of things. Uh, so, so there's that. So that's probably what I'm describing is what I would consider a creative director, uh, excuse me, a creative producer or the nomenclature we, we would use in, on Broadway would be the lead producer. That's the person who kind of initiated, whether that's through a commission or discovery or whatever, this project, or if it's a revival, you know, Hey, I want to, revive this play or this musical. Um, that's the lead producer. Now in commercial theater terms, you can package some financing for the production, or you can come on as a partner, uh, with a certain amount of money and those become co-producers and those sorts of things. And that just all becomes part of the producing team, if you will. Uh, but in essence, that is kind of what a producer does, and and that's what I'm currently working on uh, with a number of of pieces that are in my developmental pipeline, as well as always looking for opportunities to kind of become involved with a show that maybe I'm not the lead on, someone else is, and I'm offered an opportunity to participate in a financial um, investment opportunity. So those that's kind of how I move in in shake most of the time looking for new material and looking for opportunities from other producers that I can, can work with on stories that I think are important to tell or, you know, need to be up there for one reason or another. Cool. I think it's so important for, especially, I know we have all different types of artists that listen to the podcast, whether they be costume designers or students in high school or people that are, um, on Broadway. And, and it's so cool, I think, and important for people to understand at all ages, kind of like, what do the people that do the jobs think that their job is or say that their job is? Because <laughs> I think a lot of times, like not having that clarity when you walk into a room or when you're having a conversation with a person um, doesn't really equip you for success when you're uh, doing that thing. So thank you so much for that clarity and um, just explanation of, of a position that I think seems so lofty and so um, big sometimes to to new artists that are jumping into, especially like the professional um, theater and entertainment world. Mm, yeah. You know, I think that uh, speaking of like all the different artists that we do have that are listening to our podcast, Christians and Theater Arts is something that you have recently gotten to step into as, uh, as the artistic director, correct? Uh, executive director, yeah. Executive director. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So I know Michelle talked a little bit about uh, Christians in theater arts, but what are some of the opportunities that uh, that your organization um, provides for all different types of artists? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for that question. CETA, um, which is Christian in theater arts, CETA, though, is kind of how we uh, often go by. It, our purpose is to cultivate environments that empower and sustain all Christians in theater arts. That's what CETA's goal is to do. And we 
um, have recently, the, the organization itself is uh, a nonprofit. It's been around for a little over 30 years. But just this January, January 2020, we um, kind of took the car apart, if you will, um, and put it all back together. I've got a good buddy who likes to get old cars and refurbish them and they come out looking brand new. And I'd like to think that on some level, that's what the board of trustees and our C-suite have done over the past year is to take a real good look at, uh, an organization that's been around for quite a while, pull it apart and put it back together, uh, in a refurbished, uh, restored manner. And so with that purpose statement in mind and layering on top the theatrical ecosystem that I mentioned earlier, CETA uh, really is about empowering and sustaining, you know, all Christians in theater arts. And so when, when we look at uh, what we're offering or what we plan to offer as we kind of uh, grow this is, uh, we want to make sure that we focus on um, uh, cultivate, empower, and sustain are kind of the action words. And so what are we generating in, form, in the form of programming or services that in, uh, you know, are cultivating either an empowerment or a sustaining of our art form? And so when you layer that on top of our um, theatrical ecosystem concept, we... Uh, really focus on three of those kind of main areas, theater and theology being how do we as an organization ensure and partner with other seminaries or other organizations that this burgeoning conversation between theater as an art form and theology is strengthened and encouraged. How do we help create uh, a common lexicon of, of language uh, for people to use when discussing this marriage of faith and art, uh, specifically related to theater. So a lot of the programming uh, and partnerships that we have formed uh, moving forward is in order to enhance that. But also part of theater and theology is to say, hey, look, there are unique needs of artists. And so we want to be about the spiritual formation of those Christian theater artists who find themselves kind of in a no man's land, uh, an island of isolation, I like to call it, which is that we don't quite fit uh, with the church as it's structured today, but sometimes we don't quite fit even within our own uh, place of employment or our, our pursuit of our art in that sometimes we just don't fit theater and so in between those two is where I think a lot of Christian artists find themselves kind of walking again in that no man's land where they're not quite accepted in one area and they're not quite accepted in another area. And so we at CETA make great efforts to provide services and other events for spiritual formation so that they find uh, a home uh, in the middle. And until such time as we can help catch the church up to uh, on how to appropriately minister for artists, we feel like we need to stand in the gap. So that's one big area of concentration for us, regardless of where you find your work. If you're working in, 
you know, a community theater, or if you're working in a church-based arts pro ministry, or if you're, you know, the biggest star on Broadway, we want to be able to meet your needs spiritually in, in that area. So that's theater and theology. The second area is our educational initiatives. So we provide a number of events, a number of initiatives that help, um, uh, I guess, uh, empower, if you will, the next generation of artists. So we do that really starting with the middle school and high school level, and we'll be implementing uh, new initiatives in the coming months and even years for college students, graduate level students, all that next generation of artists. How do we empower them to do their work? And then finally, we have professional theater initiatives, and that's anyone who works in theater, whether they're full-time regional theater uh, or whether they're uh, you know, in a local, regional, or community theater that's bivocational or even volunteer-based or, or whatever, we provide tangible ways under our th uh, professional theater banner to sustain your art. So if theater and theology is about the formation and the spiritual life of the artist, then our professional theater initiatives are all about sustaining you uh, in your chosen profession or by vocation or even, you know, hobby. Uh, and so we will uh, have a number of things that we typically call happenings. And those things are designed to uh, continue to help you improve, you know, tangible, tangibly uh, in your art. So those are practical uh, application kind of seminars um, that are maybe more tangible, if you will, than what we're doing over on uh, our theater and theology side. So those are the three areas that CETA focuses on. To find out more about CETA, all you have to do is go to CETA.org, CETA.org, C-I-T-A dot O-R-G, and take a look at our website. It uh, is pretty up to date, so we keep it uh, going. Uh, you can check out our membership levels there. If you're an, a student, we have a student rate. If you're uh, not a student, we have a what we call a established artist rate. And then we also have rates for organizations, uh, membership levels for organizations. So if you're a high school or a church, if you're a university or a seminary, or if you're a regional theater company, we have different levels for those things. We have a ton of different things that we're offering. So I would invite you to go to our website and explore that. And of course, if you have questions, uh, you can always shoot us an email at hello at CETA.org. Amazing. Thank you so much for all that information on CETA. And I think, I think there's such a cool thing happening right now, especially with believers that are artists. I think there's a really cool unifying of the body of artists right now happening um, that I'm getting to see take part mm -hmm. in that people like you have led the charge in and organizations like um, CETA are going to be instrumental. And so we are so excited for mm -hmm. everything that's going to be happening with um, CETA and that you are going to get to lead the way with that, with a really great team and um, with some really amazing people, a part of um, the CETA organization. 
So to close us out, I just want to ask, like, what's something that God is teaching you right now in your walk with him? Mm. Well, it's always, I think, a recurring lesson for me, which is trust. Just trust that I, that I, God, know what I'm doing. And I think that that becomes more prevalent in, you know, times like these where our, at least as of this recording today, right, our industry is essentially shut down and we don't, I mean, we have projected reopenings that have moved in the past and could potentially move again in the future, depending on whether the world goes through a second wave of this pandemic or something like that. And so when, when we're in moments like this of uncertainty, I find that his message uh, to me is just reinforced that uh, one, trust that I know what I'm doing, and B, uh, don't be afraid to utilize this specific time to kind of, if you will, uh, hunker down and uh, listen a little bit more uh, intently to that still small voice Silence. I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent because I know we're out of time, but silence is critical. And and getting away and being silent uh, with God is challenging during normal times. And I think that the silver lining of all of this, at least for me, is that there is some sense that this has been forced upon me. And it's a great gift, if you want to look at it that way, to sit in front of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, in silence, without the fear that you're neglecting the forward momentum that we would typically carry during this normal, you know, under normal circumstances. I can sit without that pressure in silence and contemplation and listen. And I think that that is critical. And if we can embrace that, I don't mean to say we, if I can embrace that, then I think I come out at the other end of this when the when the market does reopen, when our art form is back on the stage. I think I come out a better um, a better artist for it. And so I don't want to say I'm excited about what's happening at this point in time, but I'm excited about the future of what can happen because I've been afforded an opportunity of silent contemplation, reflection and intense listening to the Holy Spirit and what the triune God might be saying to me as an artist during this time. So I don't know if that's what other people uh, would feel, but that's exactly where I believe God has me at this moment. Yes, I am right there with you with that. Um, Gosh, in silence, I have heard God's voice Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so much more intimately in this season than I feel like I have any other time of my life. And I know from conversations with other people that they are hearing that too. And, um, you know, that we can hold on to the hope that what God is doing right now is um, just absolutely transformational um, for us, for, like you said, not us, me specifically, because I know it's been, um, it's been really yeah, great. Uh, like silence and solitude, I should say, yeah. is, has been so great for me in this season, um, especially right. moving into who knows what is going to happen on the other side of everything that's happening right now. And 
you know, in the midst of uncertainty and the unknown is where we can dream and without any expectations or limits on, on what those things um, can be or look like or what they have to mm-hmm. look like without, like, there's no expectations for what things have to be coming out of this. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, Bruce, for uh, spending some time with us, giving up your time to be able to share some of your wisdom and the things that God has taught you throughout your years and years in this industry. Thank you for your faithfulness to God um, and the appointment and calling that he put on your life to minister to people as an artist and first and foremost, though, a believer. Um, so I just want to thank you from that personally, from my heart. Um, and I am so sure and certain that our listeners today have, um, you know, been able to get some clarity about a lot of different things, but specifically in, um, in uh, what they're doing right now and that there's people that are all across our industry at all different ages that are also pursuing God and pursuing um, this vision of what the world can look like if we really hunker down and work on cultivating um, our culture Mm -hmm. instead of trying to fight a war against our culture all the time. Um, So thank you so much, Bruce. Um, And we hope to keep in contact with you and we will absolutely be sharing more details. Yeah. About thanks book, Philip for having us. I, the book should be coming out in the very early part of 2021. And I just believe uh, aside from that little plug, I think that God is really doing something new and fresh with respect to theater artists specifically. And I'm happy that, uh, that we met and that I can verify that I'm not alone in some of my thoughts and that you're speaking to an audience of, of like-minded folks. So thanks for having me on uh, your uh, podcast and uh, continue the great work, right? Press on. Yes. Thank you so much, Bruce. We will talk to you later. Bye. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Narrow Way to Broadway podcast. We release new episodes every Monday. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe, share with your friends, and you can follow us on Instagram at InWayBWay. We'll see you next week.